The views, information, or opinions expressed during this recording are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Alberta Health Services and its employees. This is Long COVID, the pandemic after the pandemic, an Alberta Health Services webinar and podcast series. Long COVID is now being recognized as a new chronic condition that is becoming better understood across the globe. We aim to support our healthcare providers and caregivers to find and use appropriate resources for themselves, their patients, and clients. We'll share stories from patients and providers and explore the innovative work being done in Alberta, across Canada, and globally to support long COVID. This series will help raise awareness of all the work that's being done to understand and address this complex puzzle. All right. Thank you for joining us. This is Long COVID, the pandemic after the pandemic. It's an Alberta Health Services webinar and podcast series, and I'm your host, Shauna Curry. We've restarted the podcast and webinar series to bring you updates on Long COVID since a lot has changed over the past year and since we concluded our previous four-part series. I'll continue to interview guests and to provide updates on programs and services that support Long COVID, common trends in Long COVID, and themes that have emerged along the way. We encourage you to share this information with your patients and providers that can benefit from learning the most current information about long COVID. This webinar is being recorded, so please mute your phones if you're calling in. And if you have any questions for our guests, please type them in the chat box and we'll answer as many as we can by the end of the episode. In this episode, I'll interview two experts, Doug Gross and Jeff Bakel, who will spend, who spend their time learning more about long COVID research leading research studies and interpreting data around COVID-19 and long COVID. Our first guest today is Doug Gross. Doug is a professor in the Department of Physical Therapy and Director of Rehabilitation Research Center at the University of Alberta. For the past two years, Doug has led a research program focused on improving rehabilitation approaches and access for patients living with long COVID. He was an invited member of the Chief Science Advisor of Canada's Task Force on Post-COVID-19 Condition and is a co-applicant on the Long COVID Web, a $20 million research network funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. Doug, thank you very much for joining us today. Can you please share a little bit more about your work and the research that you're doing in the Long COVID space? Sure. Thank you for having me today, Shauna. So like you said, I'm a physical therapist by training. And uh, for about 20 years, I've been doing research around work disability prevention. So a lot of that has been in the area of musculoskeletal disorders, uh, low back pain, neck pain, a little bit of work around mental health conditions that do lead to difficulty with work participation, concussion, multi-traumatic brain injury, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, But anyway, with this experience, um, it led me to research in long COVID since work participation is such a major concern for people living with this condition. Uh, You you know that much of the early viral transmission of COVID-19 took place in workplaces. Alberta Health Services was really dramatically impacted, Um, but that led to challenges with prevention and then reintegration into work for people who were recovering. Um, So I did a little bit of research back then, but then early on, like very early on, we noticed that not everybody recovered the same. Um, some continued to experience prolonged symptoms, and, and this came to be known as long COVID or post-COVID-19 condition. So, so like you said, in, over the last two years, I've kind of been leading a program of research looking at 
um, this condition, what it is, what are the experiences that people have when, um, when, they, when they are living with long COVID. Um, we also wanted to know about their experiences with healthcare. So first thing we did was a qualitative study, interviewing people, talking to them about um, well, what their symptoms were, what were they experiencing, um, how well were they able to access healthcare services, and then if they did, what were their experiences with healthcare services? How effective was it? Did it meet their needs? Um, so that was kind of interesting. We could talk about that study. But on, on top of that, I've done some work with the Workers' Compensation Board of Alberta using some of the data from their post-COVID clinic. Um, very early on, there was a lot of workers' compensation claims. And, and um, even there, not everyone recovered. And, and they set up a clinic, a multidisciplinary clinic to help people. Uh, with this condition. So I've been doing research with some of their data. Uh, I guess lastly, you mentioned the long COVID web. So that's an interesting one. And we can talk about that later on as well. Doug, you're a busy person. You've, you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, what have we learned from getting a better understanding of the clinical characteristics of long COVID? I'd say probably the biggest thing that we learned is that it's not one thing, right? Long COVID. Um, it's kind of an umbrella term. It's, it's not just one diagnosis, one set of symptoms. Uh, one of the recent systematic reviews looked broadly at all the published research on, on symptoms and what people experience with long COVID. And there were over 200 symptoms, right? So it's not just one diagnosis, but it's this umbrella term that captures everyone with symptoms lasting longer than three months post-acute infection. Um, so that, that that's kind of the definition. There's some problems with that definition, right? And there's definitions with defining it, problems with diagnosing, and just really getting a handle on what exactly this is. Um, but what we do know is that the symptoms can be very profound and limiting. Um, they, they do range, like in this qualitative study, we had people whose symptoms ranged from something like, just well, lacking taste or smell um, for, for months on end. Like one person contacted me and said, well, I haven't been able to taste for 18 months another person that said whenever i try to eat i just taste gasoline so a full year of tasting gasoline right so that, that's problematic not much that Absolutely. a physical therapist can do yeah um at the other end of the spectrum you had people who experience really profound disability right cognitive limitations physical limitations um the other thing you know the diversity not only exists among the symptoms but this is a symptom that uh, occurs across ages, across genders, across the spectrum of people who, who you know, are infected with COVID-19, even children. So it's variable, it's complex, and that means that there's probably no simple fix or cure. I would say one, one, one other thing, just about the complexity of the number of symptoms and the difficulty in defining it, uh, we also don't really have a diagnostic test for long COVID. I mean, we don't even do testing much anymore for COVID-19 as is. Um, that's another challenge for diagnosing it, but there's no, no diagnostic test, no objective scan that can confirm or detect the condition, right? So it's really challenging for healthcare professionals, um, even as a physical therapist. Well, we, we kind of often prefer when we have concrete evidence, like an x-ray or an MRI or a physical examination finding that will tell us what the condition is, but uh, long COVID, we don't have that yet. So it's created challenges for some patients. Um, some of them face kind of negative, negative experiences, right? They face disbelief. 
they face stigma and, and some other things within the healthcare system. Those are all such great points, Doug. And I, I talk, I, I do a lot of presentations and during those, I'll give the example of diabetes compared to long COVID in the sense that, you know, diabetes is relatively easy to manage in the sense that we have established cl- clinical practice guidelines. We know how to test for diabetes. We know what symptoms to look for. And I mean, obviously there's, there's complexities and some, some patients that have diabetes have, you know, a, a more difficult time managing it. But, but generally we have a really strong understanding of how diabetes works and, and what needs to be done. Whereas long COVID is so different and, you know, it'll take, take some time for us to be able to establish all of those same principles and to understand when we have over 200 symptoms and, and a wide variety of, of severity of those, how, how do we treat? How do we diagnose? How do we support patients with long COVID? And, and really, how do we share that information with, with providers as well? So what implications do you think this episodic nature of, of long COVID has? And, and especially the phenomenon of post-COVID exertional symptom exacerbation, what, what impact does that have on recovery and rehabilitation? Oh, well, there has really a um, very profound impact on, on people living with the condition and with with their recovery. I mean, some don't even like to use that term, right? Because they haven't experienced recovery yet. It's, it's ongoing. We've talked to people who were infected in the early stages of the uh, of the pandemic, like January 2020, who haven't recovered. And so they're hesitant to even use that word. What they know and what their lived experience is, um, well, a lot of them use the metaphor of a, of a roller coaster, ups and downs, fluctuating. Um, and then this phenomenon of post-exertional symptom exacerbation is, uh, is really problematic on top of this fluctuating episodic disability. Um, it's also known as post-exertional malaise. Um, this is where even small amounts of physical or, or sometimes even cognitive or mental work or activity can lead to a flare-up that lasts days or weeks. This is very unpredictable. Don't always know when it's going to happen. Uh, it makes it really hard to plan ahead. Uh, employment specifically, I mean, work disability prevention research or employment becomes really challenging. Um, they, they may be able to function at a certain level one day. But then not the next. And, and then with, you know, if they're exacerbated, if they're flare up in the middle of a flare, that might last for you know, a week. It might, they might be out for three weeks at a time. So it's challenging for individuals with the condition. Uh, and it's challenging for rehabilitation providers, healthcare providers, right? As physical therapists, exercise and progressive activity are some of the most used treatments. Uh, we, we love it. We tell everybody to stay as active as possible. But that doesn't work very well in this condition. Right in long COVID, um, where we have people where even low intensity physical activity, or even sometimes some of the physical testing that we do, um, leads to flare-ups, and um, we've we've had to change completely the way that we approach rehabilitation uh, and helping people cope with the symptoms. We take a more personalized approach, screening, really thorough screening up front, making sure that um, you know if there's any indication of post-exertional symptom exacerbation that we're not going to jump into physical testing, not recommending or prescribing exercise. Um, So screening and um, making sure that the the experience of physical physical therapy or rehabilitation is safe. We were shifted, I would say, away from exercise, graded activity, and and that type of thing towards more pacing, energy conservation strategies, Anyway, it's just a different approach, and it's it's really had a huge impact on rehabilitation. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And then a lot of your your work has been focused on on disability. What are other strategies that we can use to help people with long COVID to integrate into their jobs, into their workplace? As as you've already mentioned, like it doesn't have the same trajectory as as other conditions, say, for example, concussion that might have, you know, a predictable return to work time. Uh, how do how do we support someone who has long COVID and, and wants to return to their workplace? So by far the biggest lesson that we've uh and so far has been around the importance of modified work activity. So as I mentioned, we did some work with the Workers' Compensation Board. We gathered data on, I think it was 82 uh, workers that went through their post-COVID program. And we looked at factors at admission that predicted successful return to work following that uh, program. Um, And availability of modified work came out as one of the two most important predictors. The second was having a delay to referral. So the longer people live with this condition, the worse their prognosis is, or the worse their chance of ever returning to work. And that's very common. That's very common across health conditions. Um, but in addition to that is the available availability of modified uh, work. Just so, so important. And again, that's something that's important for almost any health condition, right? It's always important to maintain a strong link between a person uh, and with a condition in their, in their workplace. But in long COVID, because of those things that we just talked about, right, with the ups and downs and the symptom exacerbation and so on, it's even more important. And there's a huge need for return to work action plans that involve prolonged and, and flexible phased return, um, as well as modifications at the workplace, sometimes physical, sometimes cognitive, sometimes it's scheduling. Um, these should be based on individualized workplace assessment of personal capabilities, like what people can do compared to job requirements, that, that matching phenomenon. Um, and, and in fact, those are the recommendations in the latest World Health Organization clinical practice guideline. And th- th- that's their wording, prolonged and flexible phased return to work for the management of long COVID. Thanks for, for sharing that. You're You're such a wealth of great information and I know our, our audience will really appreciate just gleaning a little bit of your knowledge and experience. From, from the work that you've done, what are some of the big takeaways from your research that we should be considering for the future of healthcare services? Well, we had a lot of uh, lessons. We had, we had, you know, we learned some things from talking to um, the participants uh, living with long COVID that went well. So some of them had a very positive experiences, some of them not so much, and they were very open with things that could improve, could be improved or uh, changed within the healthcare system. So some of these lessons are that uh, healthcare really needs to be individualized, needs to be personalized, it needs to be flexible and um, multidisciplinary. I already gave an example of individualization, right? The symptom exacerbation, if somebody's prone to that, you need to know that up front. If not, then maybe you can do some more traditional uh, type rehab activities. With flexible, we heard a lot around telehealth. Uh, we heard that that was a, you know it was really preferred by people living with long COVID. They didn't always feel up to even leaving their house. So if they were able to have a doctor's appointment or a check-in with a physical therapist or an occupational therapist um, over their phone in the comfort of their own house, perfect, right? So that kind of flexibility in terms of the the modality of care. I would say, and, and then multidisciplinary, right? It, it's so, so many symptoms, physical, 
mental, cognitive pain. Um, and, and so there's usually a number of different disciplines that are involved. And one thing that we heard was that if that is all available in a one-stop shop, like a IPOP clinic, like Alberta Health Services offers, that's ideal. Many of the people uh, went through their you know, early healthcare experiences before the IPOP clinics were, were set up. And so they were being referred, you know, they were kind of moving around and a lot of different professionals, a lot of different appointments, and it, it wasn't ideal. So, so people experiencing these complex mental and physical health uh, challenges from long COVID really prefer a coordinated team approach, which is, which is usually best, it's ideal. Um, because of the problems caused by the episodic nature of the condition that we just talked about, um, where even small levels of activity can flare people up, we do need that thorough assessment up front, right? The screening uh, to make sure that uh, healthcare and rehabilitation is safe and effective. I would say the last thing that we learned, last big learning, was that healthcare providers, right? They, sometimes there's some uncomfort. Uh, there's a feeling of un uncomfortableness when they don't have that diagnostic test, that X-ray or that MRI, as we talked about. So we would really recommend that these healthcare providers spend the time to really listen to people living with long COVID and believe them, right? It's a real thing. Um, and the symptoms are real. Just because nothing shows up on the X-ray or the MRI doesn't mean that those symptoms don't exist or aren't real. Providers should really focus on developing a therapeutic relationship with patients. And again, it's, it's kind of a general principle that they should be doing with everybody that comes in the door. But even more important for long COVID, listen compassionately, provide support, emotional support, and, and otherwise. Um, and, and just that simple approach, good bedside manner to really help overcome some of the issues that we heard around stigma and, and uh, patients not feeling believed. Such wise words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it's so sad to hear that that the patients are not being believed and and that they aren't feeling supported in in trying to address their symptoms. So uh, thank you so much for bringing up those points. Now this is where we would shift in our show to interview Jeff Bakel. And unfortunately, in the world of long COVID, things can change very rapidly. And unfortunately, it looks like he's unable to join us today. Uh, so we would then switch to our panel interview. Uh, Doug, are you okay if I just ask you a few of those questions and uh, we'll have the webinar end a little bit short today? Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Wonderful. So you, you may or may not be able to answer all of this, but what's coming down the pipeline for, for long COVID research and innovation from, from the world that you're seeing? Well, I'd say the most, uh, most exciting thing that at least that I've been involved in or that I've heard about is the... Uh, the coordinated research networks that are being created. We've got the Recover Network in the United States. There's a network in the UK and here in Canada, the Long COVID Web, um, led by, um, well, the principal investigator is Angela Chun at the University of Toronto, but there's uh, close to 300 investigators from around Canada that are involved, around 50 from Alberta, many from Alberta Health Services. Um, I'm uh, lucky enough to be on the steering committee of that. And it's uh, like, it's really really an exciting um, opportunity, I think, to solve some of the problems and answer some of the questions. So the long COVID web, um, it's built around the four main CIHR pillars, Canadian Institutes for, uh, of Health Research, right? There's a, there's a biomedical pillar that's looking at the fundamental 
mechanisms, the biological mechanisms of long COVID. What's causing these symptoms? Why are some people having symptoms that linger for a prolonged period of time? Uh, it's only by knowing those mechanisms that we can come up with an effective therapy or intervention, right? So that's exciting. Pillar two is clinical. Until we have that treatment or that cure, right? We, we're left with um, coping and helping people cope with their symptoms and with the challenges that they face. And so pillar two is tackling that. How can we better diagnose? How can we better treat? Uh, and help people cope with the symptoms that they have within currently existing healthcare structures. The third uh, is healthcare services. So how can we better coordinate care um, within organizations like Alberta Health Services? Uh, also, workers' compensation boards across Canada are um, involved there, and private insurers who also are providing care for individuals living with long COVID. The fourth Pillar is a population health pillar where we're really kind of just looking at the, the broader social aspects of the condition and how can we more effectively support people uh, with the condition. So that's really, really important and exciting for me. I think that uh, these are well, the three questions that you mentioned earlier, right? How do we diagnose? How do we treat? And how do we support? Our, our, uh, hopefully, answers are going to arise out of the work of this network. That's great. That's great. I'll say for anyone who has questions for Doug, please type those in the chat and we'll move on to those shortly. Uh, one final question from my end. It's, it's a bit of a longer one, but we, we've seen a huge increase in use of social media since the start of the pandemic. And there's a lot of medical misinformation that's being spread out there. So some of the information can be misleading. Some of it is completely harmful and damaging. How can someone know, especially someone who doesn't have a research or medical background, how can they sift through that information that's out there and know what's poor quality research or if it's good research and who who to listen to, who not to listen to? I know there's uh, lots of really great people out there like Timothy Caulfield, who really tried to break down medical misinformation. But what are your best tips and suggestions for, for people to find good research and ignore bad research? That is a really, really good question, a challenging question. That's actually one that I've been struggling with in my other research world of low back pain for a really long time, right? There, um, it's not just long COVID, these kind of uh, the phenomena of misinformation and bad information and, and marketing. Unfortunately, marketing comes into play a lot. Um, it, it kind of is across almost all health conditions. Uh, especially bad with the pandemic, with COVID-19, um, and now with long COVID. And my, so I, I don't have, because I don't have the, the total fix, the cure, what I recommend is for everyone to find trusted resources um, that is kind of like the go-to. You don't want to be looking around um, all the time because you, you do run into you're into the myths, you're into conspiracies. I mean, and they're everywhere. I was just reading today about a conspiracy that's popped about about up around the fires in Quebec, right? Like some of these fires all start at the same time. And it's they're not thinking, well, you know, maybe there's something with climate change that the temperature and dryness reached some threshold so that it's kind of like ready to ignite. But no, it's like a conspiracy that there's flying drones blowing <laughs> flamethrowers or whatever. Like all these conspiracies pop up. And it's pervasive, pervasive throughout healthcare as well. 
And so you you do see a lot of uh, myths around long COVID. You see um, kind of treatments that get recommended. A lot of that you can see through if you dig a little bit further underneath the um, the link or the article that you come across. Right, quite often you'll see somebody that's trying to sell something. For me, that's almost always a flag. If they want you to come to the clinic, or if they want you to buy a product, or a, you know, a pill or a supplement or something like that, I'm a little bit worried. I'm worried about that, and I want to I want to see better evidence around that. So for me, when I open my Twitter, when I open my Facebook, when I open Instagram, I have my trusted resources that I follow. Uh, Alberta Health Services has been great for this, right? The, this webinar series and the, the websites that were set up. I think that Alberta Health Services has offered some excellent, ex- excellent information around long COVID and, and even um, COVID-19 in general, right? In those early stages of the pandemic, there was so much work around synthesizing evidence, finding out what we know, what is the best evidence. And right, really quickly, a website was set up. Um, so organizations like Alberta Health Services, the Mayo Clinic, um, it's a few of those around that, that, that I like to follow. And, and that's where I get my trusted information. I mean, some of the other stuff is kind of fun and it's almost like science fiction, right? Like it's <laughs> cool to think about flaming drones causing fires, but you know, it, it is just science fiction. So don't, don't get kind of sucked down that pathway. <laughs> you can taste it and, and laugh at it, but don't, don't take it too far. That's a great point, Doug. Thanks so much. Now, are there any questions that you wish that I asked you or any final thoughts that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up the show? No, I don't think so. It was really unfortunate that Jeff couldn't attend. Right? I, wanted to, I wanted to hear from him because I think he's doing some really interesting work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people within Alberta Health Services that are involved in the long COVID web. And Alberta has been really a leader in terms of the clinical management and treatment of long COVID. Alberta was one of the first two provinces, along with British Columbia, um, that actually had a coordinated approach to care, right? You might have had somebody on an earlier podcast talking about that. But Alberta is a leader in these interprofessional um, outpatient clinics for for post-COVID condition are fantastic, available in Calgary and in Edmonton. Um, the The other thing that Alberta Health Services is a real leader in is the advice line, right? The rehab advice line has people dedicated, OTs and PTs now dedicated um, to help people living with long COVID where it's a free telephone call and you can get advice. One of the people coming into our study didn't know what long COVID was. They didn't know what these symptoms were. They knew that they had COVID and they just know that it should have been better. Um, Someone gave them the telephone line for the rehab advice line. They phone 45 minutes later, they understand it. They feel empowered. Uh, and their their uh, self-efficacy is way high. They, their coping strategies are much improved. So these resources are so great that Alberta Health Services has set up. Um, we're just kind of all lucky uh, to, 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 to live here. Thank you so much for highlighting that. And, and it's so great to hear that from, from someone else. This is my everyday and I, I work in it all the time. And you know, it's easy to take for granted the amazing work that that our entire team across the province has done to pull together these resources to maintain the websites, to, you know, to put together information and share it with patients and providers. And, and like you said, to create a, a healthcare system that is being recognized across the globe for, for the great efforts that we've put forth in terms of managing long COVID. So thank you. Thank you so much for bringing attention to that. 
Um, that wraps up our show today. And a huge thank you for your time today, Doug. And we apologize that Jeff was unfortunately unable to join us. Uh, this episode wraps up another season for the Long COVID webinar and podcast series, Long COVID, the pandemic after the pandemic. We hope that you'll take this information and share it with your colleagues. And if you work with patients, we hope that you'll share the resources that we talked about in this series. The replays of this series will be available on the Alberta Health Services YouTube channel and on the uh, EHS SoundCloud under the Long COVID webinar uh, series. A special thanks to our digital media and communications team for all their help with editing and posting of these webinars. And an incredible huge thank you to each of you that have taken the time out of your day to tune in and to make these events a success. Until next time. Together, we do amazing things every day.